We have a problem in our country. It's a new problem. It's a problem that nobody really thought about too much uh, a few years ago, and it's called vaping. Hello, Pulse Check listeners. This is Dan Diamond. And today we are talking about vaping. Nobody knows too much about it, but they do know it's causing a lot of problems. Last September, in the middle of a mysterious lung disease outbreak, President Trump announced strict new regulations on e-cigarettes. We're going to have to do something about it. How people could get them, use them, what would be available. There have been deaths and there have been a lot of other problems. People think it's an easy solution to cigarettes, but it's turned out that it has its own difficulties. But by New Year's Eve, the president had rolled out a compromise plan, telling reporters at Mar-a-Lago that he wanted to be careful not to crack down too much on the vaping industry. We have to protect our families. At the same time, it's a big industry. We want to protect the industry. It's an issue that combines public health, policy, politics. The president is eyeing his re-election campaign, joining me to make sense of vaping. Sarah Overmall our health reporter who's been leading our coverage on vaping. Sarah, welcome back to Pulse Check. Yeah, thank you for having me. And Paul Demko, former health reporter who now edits our cannabis team. Paul, hello. Excited to be here, Dan. So, Sarah, Paul, it would be helpful to me as someone who has seen the headlines about the vaping crisis in the United States, people getting sick from using these devices. What do we know in the middle of January 2020 about vaping in America? Is there a crisis among kids Are people dying from using these products? Yeah, well, there are two separate issues that oftentimes get conflated. A lot of lawmakers have have conflated the two, and that's why both Paul and I are here because we can weigh in on each. Um, The vaping crisis among teens was sort of a – well, I don't want to say slow building. It did come up fast, but this conversation has been happening since 2018 when for the first time in almost two decades, tobacco use rates went up against among teens, and that was entirely driven by vaping. So smoking went up among teens or just tobacco use? Tobacco use because vaping is – yeah. An e-cigarette, because it has nicotine in it, is considered a tobacco product. And so that was entirely driven by e-cigarettes. It's actually worth noting that other tobacco products like cigarettes actually went down among teens. So these more harmful tobacco products that use actually declined. But because there was this teen vaping epidemic, as the former FDA commissioner called it, this kind of got put into public view. And so there was already a lot of concern about teens, their addiction to nicotine, what the long-term effects were before this summer's crisis of vaping illnesses that has since been largely connected to marijuana vapes, though we can't entirely rule out uh, nicotine vapes. And I know a lot of advocates are very frustrated with us when we say that, but even the CDC right now says that 13% of those illnesses have been linked to nicotine only. And when you say vapes, what exactly are we talking about? Are these Jewels, the popular product that that looks like a little uh, USB device that you plug into your computer with a little light on the end, are these the vape pens that people smoke and they're you know long and thin? Something yeah. else? They're everything. I mean, there's there's a whole range of them. What teens are predominantly using are jewels, which, like you said, are very small and sleek. They're easy to sneak in front of your parents and your teachers, um, and other products that are like that, like blues, which are very small as well. Um, And all of those are called pod-based vapes because you buy a little pre-filled cartridge that you stick into the vape pen and you use it like that. Um, So it's reusable. You have your jewel and then you just refill it with these pods as you run out. Exactly. And then there's a whole other class of products um, called open tank systems, which are larger and clunkier and largely used by adults, though not entirely. A lot of people have asked what these open tank systems look like. And if you've seen them on the streets, 
they are hard not to notice. They're kind of the opposite of a jewel. They're about maybe the length of a cell phone, and the tank itself is probably about the width of a cell phone because it's a larger thing that you can fill yourself. You can mix flavors into it. So a lot of adults that like vaping can choose, you know, to mix flavors, can choose nicotine levels even sometimes, and those are all bought in vape shops. So is this like microbrewing for vapors? <laughs> if you've got a tank, totally. you're like making your own flavor? Actually, yes. <laughs> yeah. So of those devices... Which ones will the president's plan crack down on? Which ones will continue to be sold? Right. So on September 11th, when the president announced that he wanted to do a widespread flavored vaping ban, it was going to be all flavors, regardless of which technology they were being used in. So everything from a jewel to those open tanks. He significantly scaled that back uh, earlier this month. It's going to be just those pod-based flavors that we were talking about before, like Juul, but they're going to leave flavors on the market for all these open tank systems that are sold in vape shops. The argument being only adults are using those products and going into those shops, which anti-smoking advocates will quickly come back to you and say, teens are creative. They can get a product if they want to. Um, you know, they can go into liquor stores and buy vodka if they want to. That's what Superbad's entire plot is about. So they can go buy vapes Super if they bad, need to. Superbad, the classic Michael Sarah Jonah Hill. <laughs> exactly. <movie>. Exactly. <laughs> Stay calm, okay? Let's not lose our heads. It's, it's, it's a fine ID. It'll, it's going to work. It's passable, okay? This, this isn't terrible. I mean, it's up to you, Fogel. This guy's either going to think, here's another kid with a fake ID, or here's McLovin, the 25-year-old Hawaiian organ donor. Okay? So what's it going to be? I am McLovin. The idea that there was a vaping crisis that presented public health risks, do we know how severe that still is? It has receded somewhat from the headlines after weeks of new cases popping up of teen users, young, young Americans who were perhaps mixing the vapes with marijuana. Yeah, I mean, according to the CDC, the crisis sort of crested in September and has gradually been receding since then. I think the latest numbers are 2,600, just over 2,600 individuals that have been hospitalized with vaping-related lung illnesses and 57 deaths. That's as of January 7th. And most of those, the vast majority of those have been linked to THC products. It's slightly over. There's a new report from CDC out today that says 82 percent of respondents said they had used THC products, and about a third um, said they had exclusively used THC products. THC being the, the product linked to marijuana. Exactly. It's the, it's the ingredient that causes people to get high. Um, and, you know, the flip side of those numbers is that only about, I think, 13 percent of people reported that they had exclusively used um, tobacco products, nicotine products. So it's the data is not perfect because it's self-reporting and, um, you know, people are not not I don't want to say they're not credible, but but people might not actually know what they're using. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of gray in these numbers. Did the president take advantage of one public health crisis? If, if this issue was cresting in September, people getting sick mysteriously through vaping, did he take advantage of it? for a completely different policy that he and Secretary Azar and others were really pushing? Well, I mean, the problem is that marijuana remains federally illegal. So there's no way to address, regulate the, these products that people are using that are seemingly getting them ill because the federal government doesn't acknowledge that there's a legal market there, even though, you know, 
millions of people are using it and are using it in, in states where, that have legalized marijuana. Um, so the, the federal government is really in a conundrum as to what to do about this and you know what they can address is what products are legal out there and that's nicotine products. Yeah, I would say that the, the president took advantage of it, but so did lawmakers. A lot of people in Congress used these vaping illnesses this summer and this fall, even as it became increasingly clear that most of them were linked to marijuana, to make momentum for bills that they had that would target nicotine vapes and that didn't really address the vaping illnesses themselves. And part of that probably is because to address those larger thornier issues like rescheduling marijuana is a much harder question than saying ban things that teens are addicted to. So there was a lot of pent up frustration around vaping policy. And when this crisis hit, it became cover for policymakers to push their plans. Right. And and I, I don't think we should deny that, that there's a legitimate concern about teens, you know, rising uses, rising use of nicotine. Um, but it doesn't have really anything to do with the vaping, the, the, the vaping illness crisis that we've seen over the last six months. Right. Except federal government officials would tell you that they are somewhat linked in the fact that, um, and this is the argument that NIDA director uh, Nora Volko made to us last week. She said that- NIDA, um, NIDA being the addiction agency yes, of the federal government, yes, Nora Volko I, being the top addiction expert in the government. Yes. I live in acronym land as a healthcare reporter. Um, I live in acronym translating land as a podcast host. So you talked <laughs> to Nora Volko. Right. We talked to her last week. And one thing she pointed out was that marijuana use is increasing among teens. They found that with the December Monitoring the Future report that they put out each year. And she was concerned that it was marijuana use in general, vaping in particular, and she pointed out that it was especially going up among teen girls. And I think that the reason for that that she was concerned with is that, like Paul was saying, there has been so much legalization on the state level and maybe this assumption that it's safe when there's not a lot of answers around it, similar to nicotine vapes. One health policy issue that comes up again and again when I talk to friends outside of D.C., it's not what's happening with Obamacare. It's not some wonky regulatory thing. It really is around vaping and e-cigarettes, especially among friends that I have who might have kids in middle school or even high school. And it's, it's hard to know, frankly, whether this is just the parental fear of whatever could be afflicting their kids versus an actual issue that has broken through and puts high schoolers at risk. Do we know if the president's new plan announced on, on January 2nd, do we know if that plan is going to protect teens, protect kids from access to vaping? We don't. Um, there's a lot of open questions there. One of them is that they left menthol out of the flavors and the logic was because menthol cigarettes are still on the market and that polling shows that only really adults use menthol. But the argument is if every teen's preferred flavors off the market, why wouldn't they just switch to that? The other is that... And, um, and sorry, I hear these terms, flavor ban, different flavors yeah. like menthol. I'm not sure I know what a menthol jewel is. What, what right. does it taste like? Fair. What does it smell like? Why would kids not use it? No, fair. So so menthol uh, has a long history in tobacco in general. Um, it is the only flavor of cigarettes that's allowed on the market. The difference between mint and menthol can be a little bit blurry, but menthol is more of a cooling agent. And so in cigarettes, what it does, and, and a little personal fun fact here, I started as a teen on menthol cigarettes because it smooths and less harsh. It makes it easier for you to get hooked because it is, when you're starting out as a smoker, really hard to actually like the product. So it's always been a problem in cigarettes and in tobacco in general for being the thing that helps hook people. The reason they left menthol vapes on the market is because those menthol cigarettes are still there. And as the public health argument goes, the safer product, in this case being 
e-cigarettes should be available if the more risky product, the menthol cigarette, is still there. So to repeat back what I'm hearing, the idea is that vaping, as long as it's not being linked to some big public health crisis or teens are, are using it, but if we have a device that could get adult smokers to quit, let's keep something there and let's keep menthol because the evidence is that it appeals to adults right now and not kids. Though it's possible that as these other flavors, as the fruity flavors go away, kids then end up using menthol vapes anyway, right? Right. And 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 also those fruity flavors haven't entirely gone away. They're not going to be in gas stations and convenience stores anymore, but they will be in these vape shops. And though these vape shops say that they're age-restricted, you know, so are liquor stores, so are clubs, and kids can still get in there or get an older brother or sister to buy something for them there too. So even government data shows that a lot of teens have reported that they get their vapes from vape shops. Why did the president go from vowing the sweeping plan in September to a compromise plan four months later? Almost immediately after announcing that plan in September, he started to soften his rhetoric. It was pretty clear that he was thinking of these other arguments that had been brought to him by free market groups or the industry itself. Days after that announcement, he said something on Twitter, his preferred method, um, about protecting adult smokers as well. Weeks later, he said, we have to protect the children, but also jobs. So it was clear that he was thinking of these other arguments and that they were getting into his head. I I did some reporting on this with Politico's Dan Littman. The vaping advocates who got their data in front of the president that there are these single-issue vapors who would be motivated, at least in their analysis, to vote against the president if he cracked down on vaping, especially in all these swing states. I have been following the issue a little bit. I listened to a podcast the other day called The Culture of Clouds Podcast by longtime vapors uh, Grim Green and uh, Ruby Rue, and they were pleasantly surprised by the president backing off what they saw as this overly restrictive policy. We're still trying to make heads or tails for adult vapors, whether there was going to be a problem looming on the horizon uh, under the president's new plan. Is it true that the only reason you invited us on this podcast is because Grim Green and Ruby Rue were unavailable to uh, record? <laughs> well, those are their uh, those are their anonymous names or earned names. So it's possible you two are names. are actually yeah. Ruby Rue and Grim Green, as, as far as I know. We've been found out. <laughs> well, I I have problems covering this issue because I've only smoked socially more than ten years ago. I've never vaped, and when I think about what it means to make a public health advance and get people off cigarettes, but to do it in a way that isn't making things worse. I still don't understand if vaping is the best avenue, if there's another way to go about accomplishing the goal of getting adult smokers to quit. Do we know any more after several years of this vaping experiment? That's a really good question. I mean, the the truth is that the um, addiction products that are on the market that before vapes that helped people get off of tobacco aren't very effective. Um, you have things like patches and gum that have had varying success for people. Then you have medicines like Chantix, which have a high or have some risky side effects, I should say. So there weren't really many options for smokers before this. But the problem with vapes is that they're not being marketed as something to help someone quit. They're being marketed as something to help someone switch. And we don't have a ton of long-term data about health effects of vaping. They don't have a lot of the carcinogens that traditional tobacco products do, but there are still some open questions about what long-term frequent use of a vape can do to people. And then on top of that, adult smokers do need options to quit, but teens up until this point weren't even picking up tobacco in the first place. Do we know if there's been any fallout 
from months of attention on vaping, fears of this vaping-related illness, is cigarette use going back up as a result of all this concern about vaping? Among teens or among adults? Either. Among teens, it's kind of hard to say um, no in the latest data. It's, it's a no, but that is a concern that um, people in industry have tried to raise. Among adults, that's also something that they've, they've made the argument that, you know, if you take away our vapes, we'll have no choice but to go back to cigarettes. What the president's plan does is leave enough options on the market where that shouldn't happen. Um, but th- there are questions about what's going to happen in the future because long term, it's not very sustainable that all these products would get to stay anyway. Thinking about the president and his decision, how it was influenced by the 2020 election, I want to talk a little bit more broadly about where the candidates stand on the Democratic side on vaping and related issues like marijuana, cannabis. Bernie Sanders recently came out very strongly against vaping. Then he quickly had to walk back his comments. Sarah, what did he say? Well, he basically said all vapes should be off the market, which is worth noting, um, especially during the peak of the vaping illness. Quite a few lawmakers were saying that. Mitt Romney was one of the most prominent on the Republican side. But then he followed that by saying that we should actually look at the tobacco industry as a whole because we shouldn't have an industry that's legal that's killing people. And when you say he, Bernie Sanders? Bernie Sanders, right, yes. Um, And it was actually his campaign manager that walked those comments back. But then um, just a day or two ago in the New York Times, he virtually said the same thing, that we should look at the tobacco industry as a whole because it's killing people. So it seems to suggest that he would rather take on the whole industry and, and, and question the legality of all of these products. That Bernie Sanders interview with the New York Times, it published this week, but it, I believe it was actually from a few weeks ago when he sat down okay, with them. Do, do any other candidates have strong positions in favor of vaping, against vaping? I, I was curious and looked at the Andrew Yang Reddit pages, which I occasionally trawl to see what his supporters were saying. And Andrew Yang, the the outsider candidate, would seem to appeal to folks who might be more pro-vaping. And they were mad that he had spoken out uh, against vaping as well. Do we know if Trump is the most essentially pro-vaping candidate in the race, given that he's come to this compromised position? I would say so because he definitely has been um, the, the leader in the in the debate over this and with his plans. But also besides Senator Sanders um, and some comments from Yang, not many of the others have weighed in on it at all. It's not really – despite what um, that polling um, that was handed to the Trump campaign would suggest, it's not really top of mind for a lot of the candidates and for their voters right now. The, the polling from the vaping advocates, which I, I know having talked to health officials in the government, they were – very angry about whether that polling was trustworthy. Um, as a rule in D.C., any polling produced by an advocacy group should be uh, treated with the highest skepticism. Beyond vaping in this election, Paul, you came on this podcast months ago to talk about the state of marijuana legalization. Do we know now that the Democratic field has narrowed, is there clarity around who wants to legalize pot if elected this fall? Or is it sort of like vaping? There, there's a lot of question marks around where the candidates stand. There is a pretty broad consensus among the Democratic candidates um, supporting federal legalization of marijuana. But there are a couple notable um, outliers in that. Um, Probably at the top of the list is is former Vice President Joe Biden, who has evolved considerably from his days in the Senate, where he was really, I think you could say, one of the architects of uh, punitive uh, drug penalties. 
But he is now saying that he supports um, moving marijuana from Schedule 1 under the Controlled Substances Act to Schedule 2. And he's also saying that he supports decriminalization. Um, now, those two things are, are somewhat at conflict with each other. And my colleague Mona Zhang wrote a good piece about this because, uh, you know, moving marijuana to Schedule 2 um, that would put it alongside drugs like cocaine. And I think as most listeners will know, people are still going to prison for uh, possession of cocaine. So there's a conflict there with uh, with Biden's stance. The other significant outlier is um, former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg. Um, Bloomberg sort of famously once said that legalizing marijuana is the stupidest thing anybody has ever done. Um, he's since uh, also evolved quite a bit on this issue. Um, Bloomberg's campaign told Politico that uh, he now supports decriminalization and also supports allowing states to to set their own policies when it comes to marijuana legality. And that's sort of the de facto policy that we have in place now um, where states have been basically uh, left to do uh, – to have medical or recreational markets if they choose to do so and the federal government has left them alone. Do, do you think that marijuana legalization is something that a voter would hinge their vote on? No, absolutely not. I think while most people, uh, particularly Democrats, the data show that people overwhelmingly favor legalization, it's not it's not an issue that comes anywhere near the top of um, you know the top of the heap when it comes to how they determine how they're going to vote. So it's an issue where there's there's a lot of agreement, but the but that um, support is is very shallow and doesn't have a ton of political resonance and doesn't have a huge constituency that's going to decide how they're going to vote based on a candidate's stance on marijuana. Something we see in Washington is there is a policy fight over one issue, say drug prices, and that issue gets resolved and the same players and the same sort of arguments are then applied to the next issue. I'm curious if vaping and marijuana are sort of like that. We've now had a big policy fight over vaping. The president came out with this plan. Does that serve as a warm-up for a potential fight over marijuana? Does it reveal something about what that fight might look like? I think I think the, the players for and against are very much trying to uh, position the debate in a way that will benefit um, their beliefs. If you see like the marijuana industry groups are very much on message saying this is why we need a regulated industry so that people know what they're taking and that they know that those products are safe. And you know we've got decades of history that people, millions of people are going to use marijuana. We'd be better off if we know that, that, that if, if they are able to know what they're ingesting and that that product has been deemed safe. Um, on the flip side of that, you have a group like Smart Approaches to Marijuana, the most vocal anti-legalization group, and they're saying, look, this shows that that these products are not safe, that this has been a, a, a charade, uh, that marijuana is, you know, not dangerous and that the vaping crisis is, you know, the biggest, uh, you know, evidence that – that uh, we're on a on the wrong course here in terms of brace, embracing legalization. Right. Yeah, I would say that what the vaping crisis has shown is that um, there's been a persistent po the problem in building a 
vaping policy because there's sparse long-term research on what vaping does, what the benefits are, what the risks are. And so if there's another area where there's very little long-term research, it's marijuana because, like Paul said, Schedule 1 has made it very difficult to do that. And so if anything, we're seeing these research gaps and how hard it can be to, to make a nimble policy that reacts to them. I want to pull it back to vaping as we as we finish out this conversation. Former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb, who has appeared on this program and many other media programs over the past couple of years, but he drew a line in the sand. He said, vaping is dangerous. Juul is bad. We need to crack down on this. Looking at what the president ended up rolling out, did Scott Gottlieb miscalculate? Did he overshoot? Do we know in the administration who really won or lost here? That's an interesting question because Gottlieb did really raise the alarms in 2018 when that trend started to turn around for teens. And like you said with Jewel, that's been sort of his enemy number one even since he left the office uh, because of the market appeal that Jewel has had for teens. He did advocate, though, for taking this approach targeting pod-based vapes versus the open tank ones that adults use. So despite his rhetoric and this sort of public anti-vaping stance, he does have a little bit more nuance towards it where he's always tried to shape a policy that would have what he's called an off-ramp for adult smokers um, while closing the on-ramp for teens. So I think actually, in a way, he did win. This, This policy that the president put out in January looks a lot like the draft version that Gottlieb made last year before he left his office. But he didn't win on everything. A lot of the other tobacco policies that he wanted to see through um, have just sort of been left in limbo right now. Those are things like nicotine caps and and ultimately banning menthol cigarettes. So he won a battle, not the war. Juul, the the dominant e-cigarette company that got a big stake from Altria, the longtime tobacco company, they have seen leadership changes. They're undergoing a makeover. Did Juul miscalculate? Did they play this wrong? Yes, I think so. They, I don't think, fully appreciated when they came into the market what it would be like to sell a tobacco product, what teen addiction rates would be, and what the wrath of the government would look like when they started to come down on them. They're feeling it from all sides. They're feeling it from Uh, federal regulators, state regulators, Congress, which has been, um, especially in the House, probing their uh, marketing strategy and their their outreach to children, to Native American tribes, um, all of these strategies that they had. I don't think that they really thought about what it would be like to have a massively popular product that addicted the wrong types of people. They are trying to recalculate that. And a big part of that was bringing in a tobacco executive, because if anyone understands how to get through these regulatory loopholes and to, you know, survive in an anti-tobacco world, it's going to be someone from Altria, which is who they ultimately named to the top of the company. Though isn't that evidence for every every public health group that said Juul is just a tobacco company in sheep's clothing, these, these Silicon Valley guys who say they're going to make things safer, but in reality, they're just trying to addict kids. Now you've got a tobacco executive running the company. Oh, yeah. That didn't go down well with, with public health groups. But, you know, I, maybe these vaping companies should all be run by tobacco people because they do understand what these regulations are, and they're going to understand what they need to do science-wise to to prove, you know, what the benefits and risks are and 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 what the marketing restrictions are going to be for them. And, and that's, I don't mean to say, you know, I'm pro-tobacco any, or anything like that, but they understand how to work with federal regulators. And I think the problem was that Juul and a lot of these other companies had absolutely no experience with that. Last question. We just saw the president release his plan on vaping this month. 
what is coming next, Sarah, as the reporter for Politico who's going to be following and breaking a lot of that news? What what are you watching for implementation and, and other signal posts along the way? Right. There's two main things that are coming up in the next few months. One is going to be in Congress where a lot of Democrats were quick to slam Trump's uh, policy that came out this month. And so they're trying to push forward a more sweeping flavor ban that would take menthol all menthol products, including cigarettes, off of the market, um, along with a few other restrictions like banning online sales. So that's one of them. The other one is that in May, the FDA, and this was court ordered, so there's nothing that the Trump administration can do about this. In May, every single e-cigarette maker, regardless of the type, is going to have to submit their product to the FDA. And that's a very difficult and expensive process. So even after this whole discussion we've had about all these systems, these these different products that can stay on the market, a lot of them might not be here next year because of that. They're undergoing what's called the PMTA, the pre-market tobacco authorization. Exactly. And that what that is going to require is, you know, it's not just an application saying why I want to market my product. It's going to be studies on health, um, on risks, on the potential to hook people. And then the FDA is also asking all these companies to explain their essentially their public health benefit. If they have a net benefit to the public health, that's going to be a really hard bar to clear when a lot of teens have become addicted to nicotine. And do we know how new FDA Commissioner Steve Hahn, who was just installed a few weeks ago, do we know where he stands on overseeing vaping policy? Not quite yet. Um, He just got confirmed in December. And in his hearing in the Senate in November, he largely swerved those questions, even though that was really a majority of the hearing from both Democrats and Republicans. But the lawmakers did say, we want to have concrete answers from you within your first 100 days, not just about e-cigarette regulation, but Juul in particular. And so he hasn't really come up with a a concrete answer yet, but he's going to have to soon. And Paul, is there anything with respect to THC vapes or other areas where cannabis and and vaping crossover that you were tracking as our cannabis editor? Well, there's going to be a push in a lot of states to have more marijuana legalization, whether medical or recreational. On Monday, uh, Florida announced that it was actually pulling the plug on its uh, potential 2020 referendum on full marijuana legalization. And you will not see that on the ballot before 2022. So that was a huge development. And one other question, the idea of shifting the types of devices that are used, single-use vapes, these almost disposable devices, are there fears that we'll just see a giant rise in those now that there's been a crackdown on these other products? There, there is. And that's actually something that former Commissioner Gottlieb has brought up, too. There's all sorts of products on the market. And those single-use vapes ideally would be covered with this, this Trump ban that has been announced. But they are, like jewels, like blue, very small and accessible and easy for someone to use and, and, to, and to be sneaky and using. Um, and so that's going to be a persistent problem. As, as crackdowns happen, there's going to be new ways that products are marketed. So, Sarah, last time you were on this podcast, I asked you what would happen, and you predicted successfully that the tobacco age would be raised to 21. As we close this podcast, do you have any predictions for what listeners should be looking for? Oh, gosh. I don't want to ruin my track record now. (laughs) Um, I mean, a a dead certainty is that in May, there's going to be big questions about which e-cigarette makers come to market. So I'd say what we should be looking for is how HHS is going to try to help out those small businesses that are going to be struggling to meet that deadline, because Secretary Azar has said that he's going to try to do that. Any predictions for the road, Paul? 
people will continue smoking pot. It's a pretty safe one, yeah. <laughs> and hopefully buying the pro-cannabis subscription so they can read about all the policies affecting pot in America. Paul, Sarah, thanks so much for joining Paul's Jack. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. That's it for Pulse Check this week. My thanks to Sarah Overmall and Paul Demko for being here for the conversation. Annie Reese produced this show, and our senior producer is Jenny Ahmed. You can find Politico Pulse Check by searching on your favorite podcast app, whichever one that might be. Mine is Overcast. And you can help us by leaving a rating or review on the show that helps new listeners discover it in their feeds. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon.